Okay, what, what was the other song? Don't keep us in suspense. Living Hope. All right, maybe we'll pick it up next week. It's not a good feeling when you pop a string, by the way. Mid-song. Everything gets messed with. All right, well, we, we do have, you know, in a, a year that's brought a lot of bad news, sad news. We do have some good news on the horizon. Uh, there are three different vaccine companies, uh, three different companies that have been developing a coronavirus vaccine that have announced that they have one in the final stages, that it's ready, that uh, some of these are in the higher 90% uh, in terms of effectiveness. And so those are going to be rolling out uh, to healthcare workers uh, this month and uh, into broader portions of the population. They're, they're testing it on people like Ben Osinak first uh, to see how he's affected by it before uh, it hits the, the rest of us. But one of the ways that they were able to speed up the development process uh, for these vaccines is that they did something called human challenge trials. And here's how these work. Normally, the, the way that uh, a trial will work for vaccination is uh, you know, you have a group of people coming in and some of them will get vaccinated. Some people will get, you know, some form of placebo uh, either injected into them or they'll, they'll, you know, there's the way of kind of doing it through the nostrils. And then you just go about life as normal and they track the, you know, the two different groups, uh, the control group that doesn't have it, uh, the one that does, uh, which one is more susceptible to contracting the coronavirus. But the way that a human challenge trial works is that they actually intentionally give you the virus and see whether or not the vaccine uh, has a preventative effect, whether or not it uh, makes it so you're not susceptible to the virus. And I listened to a radio program that uh, had an interview with the different people who were willing to have the coronavirus put in their system and find out whether or not they could fend it off with their immunities. And there were different reasons why people were, were able to do that. Uh, you know, one, one person, uh, he was thinking about his elderly parents and just the vulnerability that they have during the season. And he wanted to help speed up this process where they could kind of enter uh, life uh, again as, as normal and not have to uh, have fear of getting the coronavirus. And so that, was, that was one reason. You had a, a few different others kind of listing these altruistic motives of you know, wanting to do something that would help others, uh, wanting to take a sacrifice. Uh, but when I listened to, to one particular guy, guy about my age, uh, share why he wanted to do this, it made me a little sad. Because here's what he said. He said, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. I grew up with this belief that there was a God out there who cared about me, this, this big view of the cosmos, that even though, you know, living on this little planet called Earth, there was a God directing my steps, giving me a sense of purpose and reason to live. And I no longer believe any of that. And all of a sudden, his kind of reason and sense of cause and, and purpose was no longer available to him. And so he thought, here's at least one way that I can make my life count. Here's at least one way that I can make a difference in a lonely universe where no one's watching, 
and humanity is just left to ourselves, to our best efforts to manage. The atheist Julian Barnes said this, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I miss him. And here's the question for us. Right? I, I trust you believe in God. I trust you are here um, because you've been taught well and have come to a, a place of personal faith in who God is and what Jesus has done for you, but you know we could just as easily live with that same viewpoint that that, that man described. If we're just kind of left to ourselves. We're left to our own abilities to figure out stuff, to kind of work our wills, to control other people, and no one's watching, no one cares. The question is, do you miss God? Right, if, if if there have been if, if there's been a time where you have been distant from Him, where you haven't experienced His presence, you haven't gone to Him. We've been talking about some of the basics of discipleship in this series of hey, just treasuring the gospel, reading your Bible. We're going to talk about prayer tonight. When was the last time you prayed? Because this is a struggle for every single one of us. But the question is, if you haven't been around God, do you miss Him? Because you know what? He knows you. He sees you. He is available to you. And you were not designed to do life without Him. I saw this uh, picture. There's a, there's a website called History of Yesterday that I follow every now and then. And and uh, they, they, they posted this image here. You can put that up there. This guy's name is David Latimer. Maybe you can make your, you know, a little Christmas ornament out of that. Um, in 1960, he planted a garden inside of a bottle. That's the bottle. And he sealed it shut. And he opened it up in 1972, so 12 years later. Gave it a little bit of water and then sealed it up for good. And it has been its own little self-sustaining ecosystem for 60 years. Did you know that that's how that can work? In fact, I've, I've got my own little uh, self-sustaining ecosystem. Some of you all have seen this. This was given uh, at a white elephant gift exchange three years ago. I happened to, to, you know, I had my item stolen, went back under the tree, opened it up, and there was this. And uh, it started out with uh, four little shrimp inside of here. I think there are only three that are still swimming today. But these things have lasted three years, never been opened as a paperweight on my desk. It's all contained, right? It's got uh, water. It's got a little piece of algae in there. The algae uh, serves as food for the shrimp. The algae puts off oxygen, and then so it's got just enough airspace that it needs for it all to work. It's like they live in their own little private ocean for whatever the lifespan of these little tiny shrimps must be. In fact, I think they've already outlived the days that have been numbered for them. But I'm proud of these little guys, and, you know, whenever kids come in to meet with me, I have them give them names and stuff like that. But listen, you know what? You and I, we are not self-sustaining ecosystems. You seal us up like that, you close it shut, we don't survive. <laughs> we need oxygen from the outside we need input we need watering we need refreshing and that's how god has designed us to live 
as believers. And, and you know what? That's what Christmas has made possible. The, the, the Christmas songs and the not-so-Christmas songs that we just sang, right? that, that's what this is all about. Christmas is about God being accessible to us. God drawing near to us. God overcoming every distance between us. God coming so close. He entered our humanity. He took up residence among us. He came into the manger. He made himself known and visible and tangible. He restored fellowship to him. That's why the incarnation happened. That's why Jesus wore diapers, right? That's why the God of the universe soiled himself and lived in bodies, in a body just like ours, in an environment just like ours, with punk younger siblings just like ours, to grant the availability of the Father's presence. Right? That, that's why we're saved. We're not just, hey, saved, uh, and then that's it, you know, sins forgiven, go on your way. We're, we're saved to a destination. First Peter 3 says that he came that he might bring us to God to have a relationship with God. And things like prayer, reading your Bible, and living in community, the things we're going to be discussing in this series, that's how you experience a relationship that the incarnation and the cross and the resurrection purchased for us. So let's talk about prayer tonight. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. will be on the screen as well, but important to be able to have your own Bible where you can see these words. We'll read together Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, th this series is about uh, some basic things. But if you know anything about what's basic, basic doesn't always mean easy. In fact, that prayer ends with this plea of protection. God, there's an evil one out there. 
I've got a target on my back. There are malevolent spiritual forces who want my ruin. Help me, right? There's danger out there. And so Jesus ends this, this prayer, often call it the Lord's Prayer, with this sense of, of warfare. There's going to be struggle coming your way, and that's going to be involved in all of this. But you know, basic things aren't necessarily easy things. For example, my, uh, my middle son, Knox, he's in first grade. Uh, he tends to be, you know, Piper tends to be more kind of literature reading oriented. Knox tends to be more math oriented. And so he's always asking these random math questions. He's always giving me these addition and subtraction. And now he's kind of figured out how multiplication works. And he's giving me questions about that. And, and he wants to know things like how many cars are there in the entire world? And if you were to multiply that by all the people that are in the, you know, whatever. Uh, let's see if you could do some basic subtraction. You, you're, you're with me here? I, I've got a problem here for you, all right? 173 minus 54. Who can give that to us first? Eli. What's that? 119. I didn't know I'd have Eli Chin in the audience tonight, right? That, that problem is supposed to stump you and take, you know, cause you to take like 15 seconds at least to do some basic subtraction. But, so it, are you like a savant? Do you just see the number in your head like it's a color? Or how, how did you do that problem? Basic comes uh, by easier for, for some of us. I think, I think most of us, it would take a little bit, you know, the three would throw you at the four, then you kind of figure out, okay, 170 minus 50 gives you 120, and, you know, the, the, the 23 minus the four, 19, oh, blah, 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 blah. You ruined my illustration, man. You got to warn me next time you're going to be here. <laughs> right? Uh, basic sometimes means pretty simple. Other times it means it can throw us. And prayer is, is no, dif- no different than that. It can be discouraging. It can be a challenge. It's probably one of the hardest things that you will do as a Christian. And so let me just say, we're all in this together. <laughs> no believer finds prayer easy. But that doesn't mean it can't be something we can grow in and experience and, and actually enjoy and Jesus teaches us how to do that he teaches us how to enjoy prayer in this passage but it, he, he wants us to begin in a place of honesty we want to be honest with our issues in fact he says Let, let's be honest to God sometimes people use that phrase honest to God like I'm telling the truth Jesus wants us to be honest before God when we come to him this uh this prayer, it's part of this bigger context, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus uh, has his followers, all of his disciples come to him. He sits them down. He goes up on the mountain. He begins to teach them, starting in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you've heard of the Lord's Prayer, you know, maybe you, you've kind of encountered it in a children's Bible. Maybe you've been to like a Roman Catholic funeral and seen it on the back of one of those little cards that has a saint on the front. And, you know, people use it in, in different ways. Some people just recite it. But this was originally part of a teaching that Jesus gave about what does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to live with a relationship with God? And you could really call it the disciples' prayer because it, it shows us how followers of Jesus pray. But he begins by saying, don't pray like the hypocrites. What's that word mean, hypocrite? When we're calling somebody a hypocrite, what do we mean by that? Actions don't line up with what they say, right? Uh, they're fake. 
right? Uh, they're, they're, they're saying, hey, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, but they don't personally live in light of that. But, you know, originally that word uh, hypocrite in, in Greek, um, it, it was the word that was used for the stage actors of the day, right? The people who would, uh, they would put on makeup, they would enter into a character, they would enter into a different persona, and they would go on the stage and they would pretend to be somebody that they weren't really. And we have all kinds of technology that allows us to pretend to be people that we're not, you know, for my, my kids, just, they just totally are used to the fact that the, there are these things called filters that can make you look like some weird animal or alien from outer space and just alter your image and present a totally different view of you. But, you know, through technology, we're able to represent ourselves, some other version of ourselves than who we really are. But, you know, we use that word hypocrite uh, today, and, and, and sometimes, you know, this, this can resonate with our culture because sometimes people will say things like, you know, the problem with the church is it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. And what they mean by that is you'll bump up, and, uh, up against standards coming from people who don't want to personally have to live in light of that. But they're fine with controlling you with those. And you know what, that is a problem. But, but the answer that is given is, uh, well then just be true to yourself, you know? Don't care, don't listen to the haters. <laughs> who cares what anybody says about how you're supposed to live your life, manage? You just do your thing. But that's why we started with the gospel because when we're left to ourselves doing our thing, we make a big mess of life. We're selfish. We need to be honest with who we are. And you know what prayer does? Prayer brings you to a place of honesty before God. Because when you pray, you know who's there? I mean, we, we do public prayer and, and there's, a, there's a place for that. But what Jesus is talking about here is just you and God together and no one else. Right, that, that is, for one thing, that is the least atheistic moment of your life when you're alone and you're talking to the ceiling. Only you're not. You're talking to the creator who made you and loves you. It is an act of faith. It is an act of trust. But you know right then and there, there's no hiding. God, I might talk a good talk in front of other people. I might put up a filter. I might be able to self-protect and manage what other people can see about me and what I don't want them to ever know. But God, you, you know me. You know my attitudes. You know my sinful habits. You know everything that I've ever lied about. You know all the ways that I self-protect. And yet, right now, you listen to me. You are hearing me. And Jesus says, don't, don't pray like the hypocrites. What's wrong with them? Well, one, they're praying with the wrong motive. They, they're, they're wanting to be seen by others. And that could be a struggle for some of us. You know, maybe, um, you know, there's a prayer night or time in a small group and you're just hoping that you're able to pray this really awesome, godly-sounding prayer. Um, if I had to guess, for most of you, that's probably not your struggle. It's, uh, I'm not praying. Don't call on me. I might start talking Chinese on accident. I don't even know Chinese. You know, I just might start st sounding stupid. You know, we, we're afraid of what other people will see and hear, not by how impressive we are, 
but we don't want them to think any less of us. And so we let that get in the way of a moment of ministry with God. But the other problem with how they pray that Jesus says is they, they pray with the wrong motive, but they also pray with the wrong gospel. They think they'll be heard for their many words. But this is an amazing insight that Jesus gives here. He says, your father already knows. Your father already knows what's in your heart. And yet he wants to speak with you. And so we don't have to, because of the gospel, that's why we started this series the way that we did, because we are worse off than we would ever think, but more love than we could ever dream, we never have to come to God convincing him to listen, convincing him to care. We don't have to come. Now, we, 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 we do bring our case before him because he invites us to do that, but we never have to win over favors with him. Jesus has won every favor that we could ever need. And so when you come to him, this is what the gospel means. God sees you and he sees every pleasing thing that Jesus ever did in his life. He sees all of his perfection. He sees how Jesus lived as a five-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old and beyond and did everything right. And that's all the convincing that God needs to work in your favor and to reward you as you speak to him. And so Jesus wants this to be clear for his people here. But what this also means is God listens and we don't have to have it all put together. I love this thought. Paul Miller writes this. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. In other words, come as a teenager in the year 2020, right? Come messed up. Come anxious. Come with socks thrown all about your room. You know, come with maybe your ADHD diagnosis. Whatever it is you've got going on, whatever your problems, he knows and invites you to come. You don't have to have this amazing theology. You don't have to speak in like Elizabethan English or talk like the King James Bible. He tells you to come. God wants you unfiltered. And you know what? That's when you really discover who you are. If you're always reading yourself based on other people, on what you perceive as their approval, and what you're picking up on based on how many likes your post got, right? We, we go to people for feedback. We want to know, what do you think? What lands well? Let me make some adjustments next time. When you are in the presence of God, you get to discover yourself for the first time. What's really in your heart? And you get spoken over you by your father the gospel of who you really are in his son. He's not put off by our words. I was moved by one writer, I don't, probably going to butcher his name, but it's uh, John Anwin Chukwe, and he wrote a book about prayer, and he told the story about a time that his 
32-year-old brother died without explanation, just died. There was, there, the autopsy gave no cause of death, 32 years old, and he was just gone. Never given an answer. God, what happened? And he talks about the time of withdrawal he experienced, just confusion and hardening of his heart toward God until he finally came to a breaking point and just let it all spill out in prayer. He says this, my filter vanished as my tongue was unhinged in prayer. I was both shocked and relieved, ashamed and angry at the words coming out of my mouth. I called God a liar. He seemed cruel and uncaring. Then in the same breath, I asked him to shower me with grace. I felt disdain, anger, hatred, and I told him. I couldn't help but tell him. It all just kept coming out. Pain felt like a truth serum that forced me to confess all my unworthy thoughts of him. And he took it, every ounce of it. He corrected my negative view, not with words of rebuke, but words of consolation. And some of you have never had anything in life yet, thankfully, that has driven you to this kind of experience. Some of you have because I know you and I know what you've gone through and I know that maybe these aren't your words but there are events that have happened to you, to your family, to people that you care about that have shut you down and likely closed your mouth and you think, I'm done praying. It doesn't make any difference. God does not even care. And then that can lead to keeping you away because, well, why would he even want to listen to me? if that's what I think of him. This is the beauty of what the gospel brings. Right? Prayer is the, the gospel in paraphrase. Prayer is the, is the gospel in a posture, in a lived experience, in a moment of encounter with the gracious God. And the amazing thing that Jesus says here is that your, your father sees when you're in secret when nobody else sees, when you're not scoring any points, when nobody's double tapping and liking what you're doing right now, you're just being seen by an invisible God. He will reward you. He will reward you for speaking to him. You realize that's how God is toward you? God is on the edge of his seat seeking to bless you when you come to him. You can think of it like, you know, the show Undercover Boss. Uh, I had caught a few episodes of this. I think this is still like a thing going on. I don't know. I never watch like normal TV anymore <laughs> in the day of streaming services. So I couldn't tell you. Is like American Idol still a show? Is that, is that a thing or are they done? It's still, it, it's still going? Oh my goodness. This is like uh, the 65th season or something. Anyway, Undercover Boss, right? Y'all you, you, familiar with this concept? The CEO of some company you know, the, the 
guy who's, who's never around the, the people at the lower ranks. He goes, he makes kind of a sad disguise for himself and goes into some blue collar role and gets around people and tries to discover what's it like to work in my business when you're toward the bottom rung of the ladder. But he wants to catch people. He wants to catch them doing something right. And he wants to reward them. And that's how God is for you. Sometimes we think, God's just ready to catch me doing something wrong. God's here to catch you doing something right. And because he loves you, to reward you when you come to him. Every moment in prayer, it won't be wasted. It'll be collected in his hands. It'll be brought up again in eternity. And it'll be added to your account. Not because we deserve it, but because he's good. And Jesus gives us here, he gives us a, a prayer plan. In fact, he, he gives us a place to pray. He says, you know, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees out there announcing before the world, hey guys, I'm just gonna go pray now, right? Just wanted y'all to know that. He says, go to your own room. Go, go, go have a place where you can be with the Lord. He says, go in your room. That, that might work for you. Maybe you got, a, you know, a, a room in your house where you can get some time without distraction. Maybe for some of you, it's go in your backyard. Maybe it's, you know, whatever your parents are cool with, but go walk around your block. Get, get a place, get some space where you can bring your heart and your thoughts and your words to God. And by the way, just as a practical tip, I find it um, much more fruitful when I pray with my voice. Which, by the way, uh, throughout history, that's what most people did. It, you know, it wasn't until relatively recently that you, would, you could like be reading and no sound was coming out. Like people, when they would just read to themselves, they would read out loud. And then they eventually figured out, you know, I don't have to make noise <laughs> when I read. I can read in my head. Uh, and we pray in our head, but then we're just susceptible to any stray thought that comes in and any, you know, overdue assignment that we have to do and any weird conversation that we play. You know, you have you know, those, those kind of talks out in your head with other people. And it's like, wait, I was praying, but, but now I'm in an argument with my best friend. How'd that happen? Uh, you know, that happens a lot less frequently if you're talking out loud because you tend to not just talk about the laundry uh, when you're using your words. And so... When I pray, I try to find a place where I can go and actually use my voice because several things happen. One, I'm attentive. I stay on track. And I actually hear the words that I'm saying, the truths that I'm proclaiming, the pleas that I'm making before God. And as I hear them, mysteriously, God uses that to build up faith, to stir up hope, to give me affection in that moment. So... I would suggest you do that if uh, you've got an ability to do that and not just let the people around you think that you're crazy. But Jesus gives this prayer. He gives us a model prayer here. And in Luke chapter 11, uh, is another place the Lord's prayer shows up. It happens in response because the disciples say to Jesus, teach us to pray. You know, it's striking that that's the only time in the gospels that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. After all they saw him do, Right, not uh, teach us to walk on water. (laughs) 
Teach us to cast out demons. You know, I've been in some moments that have felt like confrontations with demons, and I would have been really served to have a manual. Like, okay, subsection H, you know, one, what what do we do right here? Do you know, uh, there are no manuals in the Bible for how to deal with demons. Uh, Jesus never gave any instruction about that. Teach us how to raise the dead. They saw him do all this, but there was something about the prayer life that Jesus had that was attractive to the men and the women who knew him best. And they said, I want to do that. And he gives us this prayer. Really this outline of, of prayer. It's so simple. It is so profound. And there are different ways you could organize thinking through a prayer. You know, when I, when I was in youth, um, the the one the model that was common to to explain was something called acts like there's the book of acts and each of those letters stood for a different word there was adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication but unless you're Eli Chen you don't know what those words mean so that's not very useful so here's another way to just represent that in simpler terms right Uh, Jesus says here there are no magic words in prayer don't be like the babblers But you know, you were taught when you were younger that there are certain magic words. Please and thank you are the magic words and every now and then you have to pull out and I'm sorry. Uh, That's in any relationship. By the way, you never move past that in marriage and parenting and anything. Uh, And in relationship with God. And you you could take all the content that shows up in the Lord's Prayer, any prayer in the Bible. And if you're just looking for, what's a simple way that when I go to God, what do I do? That that could be hard. We run out of stuff to say fast. Um, it could be helpful to just have a little bit of an organization to that. And, and these three categories are, are helpful to, to think in. So uh, first, thank you. And, and this is a way of, of considering God's character, God's ways, who God is, what God has done for us. Another way you can think of that is God's presence, Right, with a, a C-E and then God's presence with a T-S, like the kind that come under the tree. Uh, what, what has God given us? And who is, who is God just by his presence, just by his nature, just by his character to us? And so you fill your mind with those things and you talk with him about it. That's what, that's what Jesus is doing there when he says, our father in heaven, right? That ought to prompt awareness and meditation and thought and and gratitude that spills over. God, thank you that I can come to you and, and call you Father. Thank you that I'm loved by you, that you treat me right now as your child, that you're not shoving me away in this moment. You're not reluctant to speak with me. Your, your name is, is holy, and so we're just extolling who he is, thinking about who he is, bringing that up in conversation. Another word for that is praise, which is that adoration word in that other outline and so begin by by thanking God considering God considering the work of his kingdom in this this world it it helps reprioritize us in the moment I need the adjustment that comes 
when I pray. Because I, my, my life so often is just, you know, you, I haven't even checked out what that, you know, what uh, Spotify unwrapped or whatever that is even means yet. Uh, y'all could explain that to me later. But, you know, you've got your own playlists and all that. Uh, my life often has running in the background the playlist of my anxieties and worries and urgencies. And this has got to be fixed. And I need help with that. And what's going to happen next with that problem? I come to God in gratitude. All of that takes a backseat. All of that recedes into the background. And I realize, God, you have showered me with blessing after blessing and kindness after kindness. And I could almost be done then, you know? Because uh, there's just something that settles us in our souls when we're aware of that. But there are other things that God calls us to engage in prayer. We use the word sorry that shows up in the Lord's Prayer as forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We study our hearts and our habits. We confess specific sins to God. Here's that moment of honesty with Him. We bring up our waywardness. We bring up our selfishness. We call to mind our neglect of God. We think about how we were harsh with somebody else, how we got angry, how we spoke words that were sinful and hurtful, disrespectful to your parents, right? That ought to come to mind. It's a moment for God to deal with you about these things. If you're never having conversation with God about your sin, you're never moving forward toward godliness, toward change you probably don't even realize there's a problem. But this is the grace that prayer brings. Time in his presence brings this awareness and the assurance of his forgiveness. This is what allows mercy to amaze us and grace to sing and humility to come from us because we just live self-impressed. We just do. We think other people are the problem and we've got our act together. And you know, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm pretty cool to be around. Everybody wants to be my friend, right? Uh, when you come away from an encounter with the holiness of God and awareness of your sin, it, it, it humbles us. And we just live in light of our faults. But we do want to be lowered in awe of who God is and that He is in conversation with us we bring to God our sin and we come away with his pardon. And then final word here that just outlines how to approach prayer is the word please. That's when you, you ask him for things and he wants you to, right? He doesn't just say, hey, do those first two and be on your way. Don't bring any requests. He wants you to come with your needs, with your desires for yourself, for others, for the conditions of this world, for the, the coming of God's kingdom, right? The, 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 those are the categories that we're given in the Lord's Prayer. We're given a proper priority for God's kingdom to come into this earth. We're, we're, we're given a sense of, God, bring your provision. Give me today my daily bread. I have needs. I need you to move. I need you to show up. I need you to provide. We seek God's protection, 
God, take me away from temptation. Deliver me from the evil one and his schemes that are against me and all the ways that again and again I get fooled and duped by sin and led into despair and taken in by deception. God, may that stop this week. May it not be that the same old things, the same old habits, the same wandering would characterize me. We come asking for God to grant relief in this world to what is broken, to what needs remedy, to what needs his care. And praying for others, it has an impact on every other feature of life. And one, one of the ways that we get outside of ourselves is carrying other people with us into our prayer closet. And, and, and that's one of the ways that you learn how to love. I appreciate what Timothy Keller says here. He says, you can't really love other people as well without prayer. If you have started praying regularly for someone and then you meet with him or her, you will see how much more engaged your heart is. Love may lead you to pray, but then prayer profoundly deepens and enhances love. And some of you know what he's saying. Some of you have no idea what I just read because you've never regularly prayed for somebody. More than just, hey, I'll say a quick prayer after group and then I forgot about all your problems because I got enough going on with me this week and next week you'll bring that up at our next discipleship meeting and oh yeah, again, that's, that's going on for you. I'm sorry, your mom died. I totally forgot, right? That's how we treat other people. But when we carry them on our hearts and in our prayers, God gives grace to love them well, to walk with them well. So you can't really ever love without a life of prayer. These are the, the effects and the impacts on our soul, on our relationships, on our life in this world. But the practice doesn't become any easier just because I've described it. And I, and I hope there's something inside of you that says, yeah, I need that. <laughs> um, what you're saying right now, Evan, is uh, I need more of that in, in my life. It's easy for all of us to recognize that and go home and go back to the same old patterns of neglect in our lives. But one of the things, and so it's one of our words in our series that we get is community. And so we said this last month that we would be a community of people arm in arm saying, hey, we're gonna read the Bible. Like we're actually gonna read it. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna figure out, hey, what, what are you reading? What are you getting out of this word that, that we, would, we would pray with one another for one another and talk with one another about prayer. And sometimes it's just beginning. Sometimes it's just beginning with the Lord's Prayer. In fact, if you just did this, if tonight and tomorrow night you recited the Lord's Prayer to God and meant what you were saying, and that's more praying than you've done, that is a step in the right direction. And th those are words that God will hear and God will answer. But then you'll find you can take these words and you can expand on them and they'll grow. And especially as you're talking out loud, you'll find, I, I, I'm starting to enjoy this more than I used to because you experience in the moment an answer to some of the things that you're asking for. 
Which, by the way, I find that there are certain prayers that God answers for in real time as, as the words come out of our mouth. God, calm my heart. God, give me greater love for you. God, help me to discern your nearness. Those are things that God arrives on the scene in real time and provides. And there are many other things that we don't often see him show up immediately in. And sometimes we, we talk like the man who's had significant tragedy and hurt and all we can do is just spill over our confusion and grief. And he takes that as well. But he's there for us. We're not alone in the world with no one watching. We have a father who knows us through and through, sees us in secret, and is ready to reward. So let's go to him. Let me pray for us to close. God, thank you. Thank you that you are this way. Thank you that the gospel, that Christmas makes this possible. Thank you that you want time with us. We need it. We are sorry. We are sorry for our prayerlessness. We are sorry for how we have preferred almost anything over you. How we have given our eyes and our attention to our phone, to Netflix, to our friend, to anything else but you. Forgive us. Help us to value you. Help us to value your nearness, your presence, as you really are. Thank you for your forgiveness toward us. And God, please, please help us. Please give us grace to pray, to experience the grace of prayer, to notice you showing up inside of us and in our world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll talk about it more in our groups next Wednesday night. Thanks for hanging. Merry Christmas. You get to say that like every day in December, right? Merry Christmas.